If I were to ask you, are, are you totally satisfied with your life or fulfilled, I might say, in your life, how would you respond? I'm sure there would be many different responses. I think when it comes to America, that is, greater America, the vast majority of Americans claim they're not satisfied. They're not fully satisfied with their life, their job, their career, circumstances in their life. Some simply don't like what they're doing. And we know that can easily be the case. Others are frustrated and unfulfilled with low income, demanding employers, high levels of stress in Satan's world. And many feel, even today, apprehensive about an economy that's kind of shaky, to some degree, kind of shaky, and the possibility of maybe even some of losing their jobs, their only source of income. And again, I'm speaking of society in general. And yet we know they're among us. Among us, we have so much to be thankful for. On the other hand, this is still Satan's world. We're still tested. We're tried. And I've often thought there are, for example, many courageous mothers in the church who are totally committed to their children, their husband, and their God. And yet, there's still, humanly, an element of frustration of limited resources. We only have so many resources maybe inadequate time and energy to do all the things that they feel like needs to be done. And that's kind of like being human, isn't it? Not having the time, the energy, the resources in this day and age. Of course, there are also many who are retired among us. And in many cases, most cases, they still deal with declining health. We understand that's kind of the way, at least as far as energy anyway, that's the way we're programmed. Also, limited income, maybe a a constant income, but a limited income as well. And sometimes a little bit of loneliness with the loss of a mate. We know that happens. We know there is a coming resurrection, but that still leaves a void, doesn't it? Death is an enemy, and others among us are disabled, and we know that. Life has its limitations in this day and age. In truth, I've so often thought this life is only training. And when I say training, maybe I should qualify that. I I don't mean skills. I mean character. I mean developing self-control, all the fruit of God's spirit. That is training in the remainder of our life as long as that lasts. And, of course, training every last one of us who catch the vision are being trained for a future career. Incredible, awesome opportunities in the kingdom and family of God. Fulfillment, fulfillment, as we've never experienced in our life. And our job description in this life is comparatively unimportant. Whatever we're doing, comparatively unimportant compared to our real career that we will receive at Christ's return if we remain faithful, if we finish our training. This morning I'd like to look at our future career, think about the future and what we will be doing in the future. Every last one of us, we're being trained by the great God, and the great God knows more than we know what we need to finish our training. The title of the sermon is, 
your ultimate career of fulfillment. From time to time, there are national surveys, surveys of job satisfaction, life satisfaction, and I think they can be quite enlightening, quite revealing as far as America at large. A few years ago, there was a general social survey. It was conducted by the University of Chicago at the time with interviews of more than 27,000 people, 27,000 across the land. The director of the general social survey reported the following, quote, the most satisfying jobs are mostly the professions, especially those involving caring for, teaching, protecting others, and creative pursuits. Creative pursuits. Now, does that sound like anything concerning a job description of a firstborn son of God, or we could say a daughter of God, but we're neither male or female, but a firstborn son of God during the millennium. Does that sound familiar? Absolutely what God has in store for us and mind for us. We'll spend the millennium caring for thousands of individuals, of human beings. We will teach them the way of God. Now, the way to peace and stability and happiness, it will bring everlasting joy in their life. It will take a while, but that's the direction. And we will protect them from disease as we teach and train, as we clean up the environment. And, of course, finally ridding the curses of a wrong way of life. And we will help create a new civilization free of crime free of pollution, an incredible opportunity. We think about the new world coming. It will take time. It will take effort. It will take direction from the creator himself. Well, this survey, interestingly enough, indicated that of the 27,000 people who were surveyed, the highest level of job satisfaction was found in the, believe it or not, was found in the ministry. Additionally, the highest level of overall happiness was also found among the ministry. Now, some of you might think, speaking of the ministry and the church, that, well, we have total fulfillment. Some might think that. (laughs) But in reality, the ministry today has its limitations. You know, as human beings, there are limitations. We have a shortage of resources at time. Shortage of hours in the day, we all have that, don't we? We have a shortage oftentimes as the ministry gets older, and we all do. A shortage of physical health, of energy. That being said, it is a joy to work with God's people who are trying to overcome. We're looking forward to their calling in a very difficult world current tense. It is a joy to work with others. But we know those limitations for God's servants are soon going to disappear completely and forever in the family of God. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4. As we read here, as far as our future, if we remain faithful, if we finish our training... In verse 4, 
John to the seven churches which are in Asia at that time, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, the ever-living one, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, in other words, the word, the logos, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And verse 6, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You and I will have the unspeakable opportunity and the blessing of liberating humanity from a failed way of life, a total failed way of life that Satan has foisted upon humanity, a way of competition, of greed, of striving, of taking. We will have the overwhelming blessing of being part of the firstborn family of God. You know, something we don't deserve but something we must strive for, asking God's direction and guidance and gentle correction. We have things to overcome in our own lives. We still have things to change in our lives spiritually. And before we look at our amazing career, future career fulfillment in the millennium, let's pick up the story at the very beginning of our future career. Let's start in Isaiah Chapter 60, Isaiah chapter 60, and verse 1. 61. I've always enjoyed these scriptures here. I think it gives us kind of a thrill to look at the possibilities. And verse 1, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Now, we can apply it in different ways, but we can certainly apply it to our resurrection, our change, when we will arise and shine, whether we're alive or dead, you know, as a fully glorified son. We could say son or daughter, but we're neither male nor female. A son of God. Incredible. Verse 2, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth during that time of warfare and destruction, And finally, when Jesus Christ puts an end to that rebellion, Megiddo and beyond, and deep darkness, the people, confusion, apprehension, fear, sadness, destruction, human beings bringing World War III upon themselves. But the Lord will arise over you. And that's speaking of the potential firstborn family of God. The Lord will arise over you. And his glory will be seen upon you. You know, at time, the scripture implies we will be fully glorified, uh, as incredible as that seems. And, you know, we will be able to appear glorified. But in general, working with human beings, we won't want to appear glorified. It would be a little too much. It's kind of like turn down the rheostat, you know, functioning so we can manifest ourselves in appearance physically. That's something that we will be doing and working one-on-one at times as well. 
and the Gentiles shall come to your light. And, of course, we can refer that to the physical Israel, but it, it refers more, even more, to spiritual Israel for us and to the kings, to the brightness of your rising. And, uh, and an incredible experience. Not all of humanity will know what's going on. There will be a lot of skeptics, a lot of fear initially. But nevertheless, uh, that will occur. And verse 4 says, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. And potentially our, our, our living young children, if that be the case, or even adult children, if they're not converted, they'll come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. And it seems logical that we'll be taking care of any remaining family and descendants. You know, they know us, they identify with us. And we'll take, we'll, we'll oversee their opportunity as we see. Then you shall see and become radiant. You know, you're radiant and with, even with joy. And your heart shall swell with joy. Of course, uh, we won't have a physical heart, but you know, there are godly emotions and we need more of them in our life today. And we, we encourage and pray for godly emotions, you know, compassion, as an example. At times, Christ was moved with compassion. We're not too often this day and age as we could be. But we pray for more godly emotion, and we attempt to get rid of satanic emotion. There's more than, more than enough of that to go around in society, and we tend to bring a little bit of it with us into the church. We need to overcome that. Because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, and the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Of course, that will be true for physical Israel, starting in Jerusalem, but it will spread, and that will apply to us as well. In other words, we'll have the assets of the earth to work with to work with in helping humanity begin to turn around, begin to rebuild. And we'll talk about that in a moment. The wealth of the earth, it says the Gentiles, but the nations will be at our disposal to help humanity, to help humanity in the rebuilding process and coming to the great God. And that will take time. We understand that. In verse 8, who are these? I think about this scripture. I think it's exciting to envision. Who are these who fly like a cloud? I read that. I interpret that as our resurrection, our change. Incredible. And, and like doves to, to their roosts, for the very first time experiencing the ability, the freedom, not being chained by gravity, not, no longer being, a, a, let's say, a physical being, like doves to the roost, the excitement of the resurrection or the change, you know, incredible. You know, this is it, and the freedom that that will bring. A few years ago, our daughter and son-in-law took us to uh, Yosemite, Glacier Point, looking down about 3,000 feet into the valley. It was a perfect day, a clear day. I could see the Merced River down below. El Capitan across the way, 4,000 feet of vertical granite. And I was thinking to myself, there was a, 
a little rail there to keep you back. And I was thinking to myself, you know, someday I want to come back here and be on the other side of this rail. <laughs> I want to be able to see it, you might say, from a different vantage point as a spirit being. You know, seeing the earth, you know, that's a minor point. But can you imagine who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their roosts, seemingly celebrating their resurrection and no longer chained to gravity? So the question is, where do we begin? Where do we begin in our new career, our assignment as a firstborn son of God? Well, we know most of the world will have been devastated Warfare that mankind has brought on, a satanic system has brought on, warfare, earthquakes. One scripture implies every island will be moved out of its place, maybe not destroyed, but moved. Sounds to me like tectonic plate movement, ecological disasters of all sorts. Why does the day of the Lord occur? Is it because God gets so angry he can't take it any longer? I don't think so. The day of the Lord occurs, it says so many times in Scripture, so they will know that I am the eternal. In other words, the ever-living God, the creator of the universe. Slowly it will become clear this powerful being in Jerusalem is not some force to be dealt with, not some whatever, alien, but God himself, the creator, Jesus Christ. Incredible when we think about that. That future. Well, you know, there will be major earthquakes, and the whole point is to get the attention of humanity, to turn humanity's attention around. We know when there are earthquakes, fires tend to destroy as much as any, let's say, aspect of the destruction. Uh, oftentimes, gas lines break, water lines break, putting out fires is not possible. A few years ago, Mr. and Mrs. Ames and my wife and I visited a display that uh, of old photographs of the 1906, I believe it is, San Francisco earthquake. And that was pretty devastating. But guess what was the most devastating? It was the fires that followed. Inability to put out fires. And, of course, there were so many, there were so many that ended up being homeless. 25,000 buildings destroyed. This was 1906. More than 3,000 people died, and one quarter million homeless. 225,000, or close to a quarter anyway, homeless. You know, needless to say, the population in the future will be very traumatized. When our children were younger, way back when, when we were living for a few years in northern Arkansas, our family was evacuated one night. You could say temporarily we were homeless, at least for a night. There was a, a industrial facility that had a huge propane tank, and it was leaking, and there was concern that a spark would ignite a giant fireball of destruction. And I can remember trying to sleep, at least for a little while, trying to sleep our whole family, all six of us, went to a facility and tried sleeping sitting in a chair. And that didn't work too too well, trying to sleep in a chair. So eventually we got back in our car and drove miles trying to find a uh, hotel or whatever. Temporarily, we could say we, we were homeless. But think about the future 
the future when humanity is so much of the population remaining is homeless and destitute, well, our first order of business at that time, at the start of the millennium, will likely be to organize temporary shelters and, of course, to see that adequate food and supplies are distributed. But the quickest way to get someone to trust you, to put their trust in you, is to take care of their immediate physical needs. We'll get to their spiritual needs later. But first of all, you've got to take care of their physical needs, such as food and shelter. You take care of the needs before you can fully begin to work with the mind and their potential. So where are we going to get even the basics of food after all this destruction? So much of the world has been hit by famine and warfare and fires. You may remember the third seal, Revelation 6 and verse 5. Revelation 6 and verse 5, and it says, speaking of the time preceding Christ's return, And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat. For a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. In other words, they were scarce and it took money with very little food, for example. And went on to say, and do not harm the oil and the wine. In other words, preserve what is left. You think about it, it will take an entire growing season, some six months, to increase the food stocks on the planet after all the devastation that we read about in the book of Revelation. So how are we going to speed up this process? We can't wait six months to feed the hungry and begin with the homeless. Of course, food is first, and of course, shelter is second. How are we going to speed up this process? Well, don't forget, this is the kingdom of God that we're talking about. Yes, generally, the great God works through Natural means, working with human beings. When there is an immediate need, he has the power to do a miraculous work, to provide according to his will. Matthew 14. Matthew 14 and verse 14. And we see one little forerunner of an example. Matthew 14, verse 14. Verse 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, chapter 14, verse 14, and he was moved with compassion. Notice that. Notice this godly emotion. This is just one example. Christ experienced and exhibited godly emotion like we should ask God to help us develop in our life as well. And healed the sick. Okay, Christ healed many that day. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. In other words, it's late afternoon. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Of course, that was their their thought. There's nothing here, so let's send them away. Verse, 
verse 16. And Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Can you imagine Christ telling us to do that? Beginning of the millennium, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and a fish. And he said, verse 18, bring them here to me. Of course, hopefully we'll have a little more understanding at that moment and courage and faith and confidence in the great God and what God intends for us to do. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass in a very orderly way, not helter-skelter. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. And so they all ate, and they were filled, and they took up the twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So we don't know how many that was, but maybe at least maybe 10,000, who knows? Incredible as far as the multiplication, the miracle, Christ's desire to take care of their need on that level. They weren't starving people, but they're average humans who got hungry by the, by the end of the day. And think what potentially we can do, we could do when we begin to take care of the homeless and those who have very little to eat at that time. Now, if you were given this opportunity in this way or maybe a bigger way to provide food for the starving men and women and children, don't you think you would totally enjoy the opportunity, the experience to perform a miracle or two as you watch their eyes light up? Of course you would enjoy it. We're not talking about ego here. You know, hey, look at me, showmanship. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the absolute spine-tangling excitement and joy of having the ability and the resources to make a difference. The very beginning and the start of the millennium. Incredible. And you know, as we begin this process of providing the, the immediate physical needs, we've got to start there. The immediate needs of our people, of other human beings, who also bring a level of reassurance to them. You know, they begin to say, well, we're not there to destroy. We have something better in mind. And, of course, we will begin teaching shortly thereafter. But we're going to comfort them, reassure them, comfort them, begin to dissolve the fear that will be there after Armageddon and so much warfare following World War III. Those traumatized inhabitants of the planet have nothing to fear. We're here to help. We've got, we're here to provide for you, to show you a better way. You have potential, a better future, and we're here to help. Jesus Christ's intervention in the Valley of Megiddo and around Jerusalem and the complete dismantling of an army, some combined army of some 200 million will go a long way to convince humanity that indeed this powerful being there in Jerusalem, who has descended to the Mount of Olives initially, but doesn't stay there, is the creator of the universe. You know, something they've been brainwashed to discount initially. 
You know, the assumption that we've all evolved the greatest false religion on the planet, that we've all evolved from random chance, chaos, genetic mutation, and all the rest. The creator actually exists, the designer, the, the prime engineer of all life forms on the planet, plant and animal, human, and all the rest. Every last life form has taken engineering. There's no magic wand. They've been engineered only probably, let's say, at comparatively uh, light speed, can I say, compared to what we would do as humans. So much faster, incredibly. You know, if, if God has the capacity to know, let's say, the heavenly bodies in the universe, not one of them is misplaced. What is it, a hundred billion times a hundred billion, whatever that number is, or more? Uh, and he calls them all by name. So it says one scripture. He doesn't lose track. Incredible capacity. And that's something that, of course, we can begin to tap into as, as well as small junior members of the God family. Isaiah 35. So we're going to begin to try to comfort them, to encourage them, to reassure them. We're here for them. Isaiah 35. And verse 3, 35-3, and we have this instruction here, verse 3, it says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. We're going to be encouraging that, you know, the shaking feeble knees. And say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Yeah, initially with the rod of iron to put down rebellion, but a loving, outgoing concern is the agenda. With the recompense of God, and he will come and save you. And that's going to be our message to humanity at that time. We're here here to help. We're going to take care of your needs. We're going to show you the way, a better life. You have a real future on earth. And, of course, later, the universe. And this reassurance will go a very long way in comforting humanity. Jesus Christ and his family, we could say his brothers, are here to restore the earth for humanity, to provide their needs, to teach them a better way of life. And as people gradually, it'll take a while, realize that, indeed, The creator of the vast universe is here to bring peace and those with him. He's here to bring an abundant future life on the planet. And humanity will begin the overwhelming task, let's say, of overcoming their inherent fear and anxiety. And in time, that will be gone. You know, it's kind of like time to... Breathe a sigh of relief, that overwhelming fear that Satan has brought on humanity. You know, competition at the extreme, competition among nations, among humanity. Satan's way of life, extreme competition. It doesn't matter who you step on as long as you ascend, as long as you rise above others, according to Satan's thinking. And, of course, God's philosophy, laws, Cooperation, work together, 
We can do so much more working together than competing. Satan hasn't bought that. And, of course, and those rebellious third of the angels that followed him. But we're going to show the way, how much we can accomplish, they can accomplish, with peace and harmony across the planet for a thousand years. Incredible new world and a new age. Jeremiah 31.13, a reassurance that we'll be able to bring. Jeremiah 31.13. God says, and he will use us in that process, 31.13. Then the, the virgin... Then shall the, the virgin rejoice in the dance. In other words, young people, old people are going to start rejoicing. And the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy. And yes, as in uh, the sermonette, they will begin to slowly develop a level of hope. You know, hope, hope is personal. Hope is personal. Faith is rock solid towards the great God. Incredible, let's say, confidence in the great God and his will, his purpose. But hope can apply to us. We can, they, they'll slowly start developing some hope for their life and their future. For I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. You know, that will be your job. That will be my job at the very beginning of the millennium. And we will comfort humanity and tell them it's okay. It's okay. Everything is going to turn out all right as you follow the great God, the creator of the universe. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 and verse 1. I think an interesting application here 61 verse 1 and it says the spirit of the lord god is upon me because the lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted oh yes that was jesus christ but that will be us as well in the millennium we'll be sent to heal the brokenhearted the downcast to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You know, I found that scripture encouraging. I've sat down many times with various prisoners in the state prison system in California. And one individual I had interacted with many, many times didn't seem like he belonged in prison, but had been there 25 years, I think, Unfortunately, he did not, he ended up in prison wrongly, but that's another story. And, and from time to time, I've kind of been quiet about this when I was there, because you're in a, a room with all kinds of prisoners and guards, and, I, and I've told him kind of quietly, you know, the time is coming when these prison systems are gone. They're going to be removed. There is no room for warehousing human beings to make them better criminal, criminals. In the way of God, in, in the millennium, there's no room for it. These prisons are going to be torn down or used for something else. 
You know, that's, that's something that millennially people will be changed or will work to help them change. And, and, and even prisoners will have to be willing to change to look inward over time. There will be no warehousing for long periods of time. They'll either come on board with a plan, the purpose of God, slowly but surely, or if they're still rebellious over time, they will be executed. There will be no warehousing of human beings in that fashion as we see in the system today. Incredible rehabilitation is what it will be all about in the millennium for all humanity. Well, Jesus Christ fulfilled this at his first coming, the scripture in Isaiah 61.1. And, he, and he, he came to heal the brokenhearted, and will, this will be accelerated at his second coming. Can you conceive of the sense of fulfillment that we can have as instruments of the Creator? Personally, that sense of fulfillment, being able to accomplish this, you know, where we have the, the ability, and I could say that the resources, I mean resources, I mean the responsibility from God, the energy, uh, more wisdom, more understanding. Of course, we'll carry into, let's say, our change or our resurrection with the knowledge and understanding that we have now, but in the early millennium, we're going to be taught ourselves. We've got a lot to learn. And can you imagine our growth will be accelerated as spirit beings? You know, we carry back kind of like baggage now from the past. But coming into the family of God, we'll have a lot to learn, a lot to learn, and we'll be taught by the Creator incredible. Of course, when you think about it, quickly following the need to take care of the need for food and water and reassurance will be Adequate shelter. And God intends for people to be sheltered, not be vagabonds, so to speak. That's his intention. More stable. And, of course, that's necessary. You can't get very far in rebuilding a life when one is homeless and destitute. You know, human, humanly, we take care of the things that we need, the physical things. And then when we have those physical needs taken care of, we begin to think on higher plane. At least we're c- capable of it. And a significant initial priority of your responsibility initially will be to look after the thousands who are destitute and homeless. Isaiah 58, back a few chapters. Isaiah 58 and verse 12. And it says in verse 12, And those from among you shall build the old waste places, Destruction, chaos, the end of the age, World War Three. Of course, we're going to rebuild the old waste places, not, not exactly by any means like they were before, but in a different model, I'm sure. Smaller cities, not crammed together in pollution and crime. Megalopolis, I guess we could call it. Los Angeles, New York City, not going to happen. You shall, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, beginning in the millennium, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. 
you know, repairing the breach between humanity and God. That's going to be our agenda, kind of like a bridge from their past to what God has in mind for them. Isaiah 61, forward a couple of chapters. Isaiah 61 and verse 4. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, and they shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. That'll take time, won't it? It's not going to be, it's not going to be presto changeo. Human beings are going to have to do the work, have to do the rebuilding. We will give them direction and we will get direction from Jesus Christ himself. What an exciting opportunity under the leadership of Jesus Christ to redesign and rebuild God's way in a healthy way. No longer blighted, overcrowded, run down, congested, polluted centers of misery and heartache and crime. Going to be constructed with a different plan. I'm sure buildings and even random shacks destroyed or damaged in warfare and fire and earthquakes will be leveled. There's an element of being able to start over in many ways. And it will be a a great time to totally redesign the cities of the world on a much smaller scale. Probably the biggest city on earth will be Jerusalem. That will take time. The headquarters of the planet, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But even there, there will be rebuilding and planning, and it will take time. And, of course, Jesus Christ will give us direction and the outline of the cities of tomorrow's world. But we'll use a tremendous amount of creative effort. You know, Christ is not looking for robots or just following a cookbook. Uh, We'll use our imagination creatively as a junior member of the God family. God wants sons who can follow principles and his outline, but we won't be non-thinking robots in that sense, cookbooking it in totality. God wants us to be able to think, to plan and design, to be highly creative as God is creative. Incredible creator God is. So many plant and animal life designs on this planet, almost like overkill when you look at it, but it proves God enjoys creation and variety, incredible variety. And, of course, we do and will as well. well. So it will be highly creative, fulfilling effort on our part, And among the firstborn sons of God, we'll share ideas with each other. In a multitude of counsel, of course, there's still, that's still a principle of the great God. It is now. It will be then. We'll share ideas that are working well. We'll ask for input from, of course, for what's working in others' areas. The large cities of the earth will be dramatically reduced in size. This will be a good time. This will be a good time to set aside in maybe smaller cities or larger cities. Open space, you know, so people aren't 
crowded together, crammed together, house to house or skyscraper to skyscraper, whatever. Maybe even setting aside small green belts or whatever the case may be, park-like areas running through the city. I often thought of, and I'm sure it would be beneficial then too, hiking and biking trails. You know, humans are humans. They need exercise. They need to see the creation of the God family. Years ago, my wife and I lived, I was was in college and she was working. Uh, We lived right across the street from Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. And uh, it wasn't perfect, obviously. This was quite a few years ago. Now it's another story. But back then it wasn't perfect, but we enjoyed miles of, can I say, trails, sometimes back backwoods trails and lakes and gardens, free concerts, you know. Why charge an arm and a leg? These were free concerts, scenic settings. Occasionally we'd have a picnic lunch if I could pick her up from her work, and we'd meet together near the conservatory on the lawns looking at the beautiful flowers. You know, that was just a small taste of maybe at that time what a city setting should be like. But in the millennium, the average city, I'm sure, will put Golden Gate Park to shame and San Francisco to shame today. It will be clean. It will be safe. And people will be moving the right direction. Totally safe environment. Lawns, gardens, streams, whatever, creatively, you know, with, with not just plant life, but maybe animal life. And, of course, of course, uh, the birds God has created, the human visitors. You and I will have the resources of the God family on the planet at our disposal, the resources. And we will use those resources for the good of humanity, you know, who are all actually future members of the God family themselves in time. And, of course, we'll want to see them succeed above all else, won't we? Not, you know, there will be some correction, obviously, and some direction, but our primary motive will be to see them succeed. And we'll work to that end with a high level of satisfaction and job fulfillment. Let's turn to Ezekiel. Chapter 36, Ezekiel 36, and verse 33. Verse 33, Ezekiel 36, 33. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled, you know, agriculturally, instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. Verse 35. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. I think that's, uh, you know, something that would be so heartwarming to see the planet recycled, can I say, or cleansed. 
and redesigned among the cities as well. I think one other very significant way, right from the start, that we can gain humanity's trust, and that must be accomplished, and build their confidence in us is through healing. Incredible. We'll have that opportunity through healing. Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. In verse 5. Verse 5. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And you think about, think about how that would be for an individual that was blind since birth. We have such an individual in one of the congregation. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. Can you imagine the effect of healing a blind human being that's been in darkness since their birth? You think you would earn their respect? You would gain their respect? Absolutely. Incredible. Godly emotion would come to that person, but also you as well. Verse 6. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. You know, there have been so many individuals who have been injured over the years, have been paraplegics maybe from the neck down, quadriplegics, I should say, as well, paralyzed from the neck down. Do you think they would leap like a deer if you released them? from their wheelchair, you bet they would. And that would excite you as well, not just them, but that would excite you as well. It goes on to say, and the tongue of the dumb will sing, meaning one who has lost all fluency. But if one was restored miraculously, talk about verbal fluency, a torrent of words of appreciation would come, you know. And we're talking about the sense of fulfillment as, as a member of the God family, your future career, the fulfillment that you've never had fully in this life, even of the best of positions or jobs or whatever. Jeremiah 30, Jeremiah 30 and verse 17 And it says here, God says, For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Eternal, the Ever-Living One. You know, what a blessing to quickly heal those who are sick or diseased, as well as the many, many injured from warfare, Earthquakes, disasters of all sorts. In the past several years, the living church of God has been blessed with many, many miraculous dramatic healings. You know, and it's not often known, and I think God has a reason that it's not often known. Healings of cancer, extensive cancer, the floor of the mouth, which happens to be quite deadly because of the innervation, the blood supply cervical cancer, breast cancer, serious life-threatening infections, and on and on. 
birth defects, of course, unborn. And yet, God seems to be keeping his healing low-key. So often, it seems, word doesn't get around. And I've wondered about that at times. But apparently, for the moment, he doesn't want people primarily attracted to the living church of God for the sake of healings and miracles. He's got another purpose. He wants people attracted to biblical principles. And I'm speaking with people attracted, I mean, of the church of God in general, of other entities and organizations. He wants people attracted to godly priorities, not just the signs and miracles and healings. We all love miracles, don't we? But God wants people attracted to his work, to his truth, the priorities of the great God, developing godly character. And God has allowed us to sift and sort ourselves based on our priorities. Sometimes there, there are some priorities of higher value to God than other priorities, aren't there? Even among priorities that are godly priorities. God has allowed us to sort ourselves. We're being tested. God has to know when he tested ancient Israel, he said, so I will know what's in their heart and what's in their mind. And we continue to be tested. Well, at the beginning of the millennium, we will openly heal, and it will then be time to get the attention of humanity. Now it's time. And as we heal, we'll also use the opportunity to point them to Jesus Christ himself. He's not only the creator of the entire universe, but he is the savior of humanity. And by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, they will be healed, 1 Peter 2.24. And as we gain the confidence of humanity, we'll begin our greatest challenge, the re-education of humanity, changing minds steeped in Satan's way of life, out of the society, and gradually but surely over time convincing them of the value of God's way of life. We don't want to just order them and drive them. We want to convince them to be logical in teaching and training so they will buy, so to speak, in other words, and understand what God is offering. And they'll want what we want them to want, not be forced. That's not a good motivator in the long term. And yes, there will be a rod of iron initially to keep people from violence. That has to be stopped, of course, and from the violation of the letter of the law. And it will be a needed tool initially to get their attention. But the real fulfillment and the real joy on our part will be in helping them to understand the spiritual law of God and, oh, the blessings for obedience, cause and effect, what comes when you truly follow the great God, the, letter, the spirit of the law, not just knowing the truth, but living the truth at a much higher plane. There are laws of cause and effect, the path to a better life, the blueprint of human happiness. And none of us have totally experienced that, but to a degree. To the degree we obey God, we overcome ourselves. We're willing to change. No matter what our age, we have things to change. We become more Christ-like. Can you imagine the satisfaction of having human beings 
who are attentive and really want to listen. You know, I mean, sometimes we in the ministry have the privilege of working with people who are like sponges. They're not argumentative. They're open. They want to learn. Incredible fulfilling. And, of course, eventually in the millennium, it'll take a little bit of time, we'll get there. You know, they'll be sponges. Why? Because they want to succeed. They, they, they've, they've bought the concept, makes sense, they want a better life, they want a better future, and they're on board. Micah chapter 4, Micah chapter 4 and verse 2. So the, so the time will occur. It's not going to happen overnight, but we'll begin teaching God's way. It'll be it'll start making sense, and it never has to them in the past, but we'll convince them of the blessings to themselves personally and their family and all of humanity in due time. Micah 4, verse 2, and it says, Many nations shall come and say, In time, come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, meaning, you know, the nation of Israel, kingdom of God, Jerusalem, etc., to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, headquarters of the planet, the king of kings is ruling in Jerusalem. You know, time will occur. It won't happen right away. We know other scriptures say that if initially if certain peoples won't representatively come to Jerusalem to keep what we're doing now, the Feast of Tabernacles, no rain. Now see how that works. And they will slowly begin to think, well, maybe, maybe this religion that we've followed all these years is not the way. You know, the great controller of the weather can control that totally, and in time they'll begin to see. And, of course, Jesus Christ himself then is teaching in Jerusalem, and we also will be constantly teaching at a much higher level than we're capable of now. You know, you will be speaking often, Sabbath services, holy days, feasts, feasts of tabernacles, maybe re-education seminars. You know, you'll be personally involved. Seminars such as, perhaps, how to dramatically improve your life beginning today. Or, the Ten Commandments, Ten Steps to Blessings for Obedience. Or, the Creator's Financial Security Plan. Or possibly, why were you born? Your future in the universe. There's so much to learn, so much to teach. I imagine some of you are thinking, well, public speaking has never really been my thing. Well, join the crowd. You know, that's generally nobody's thing initially. A lot of our men can remember Spokesman Club. Did you really want to be a part of Spokesman Club? I'd have to admit I didn't. So why did I join Spokesman Club? Because the pastor told me it would be good for me. 
You know, you know, the public speaking part is universal, I think. You know, it's not comfortable, not something you've done before. You know, public speaking, nervous before a group. I can remember my first experience in Spokesman Club. I could feel the pulse in my neck, my carotid artery, okay? And uh, I was a little bit breathless. You could feel your heart beating, a little bit hard to breathe. But after a while, if you do it anything long enough, often enough, you get used to it, kind of like learning to bowl. You don't know how to bowl to start with, but you start doing it. That's the way you learn. Of course, you know, it'll be different in the family of God as a powerful spirit being. You know, we have things held over from our past. I think of it as baggage. But don't forget in the millennium, powerful sons of God, our basic character, our knowledge will follow us into the kingdom, knowledge that we're learning now. And there will be more that will come. And from that point forward, our potential will be, as far as learning and abilities, will be light years ahead of our potential today. You know, being a full-born spirit being will accelerate dramatically our potential to function and to perform in so many ways, perform in a right way. Would you be a more effective speaker if you had a powerful mind? You know, we've got unique minds and brains, but we're talking about now, as a son of God, a, a powerful mind with total recall, total recall. You don't have to stop and think and wonder now, what's that person's name? Or trying to remember an example or a bit of history or a Bible verse or whatever. Total recall. There's evidence, plenty of evidence, that that will be the case in the family of God. And I could, I could elaborate, but I won't take the time. But, you know, we will be so much more effective tools in the family of God than we could ever be today. And add to that, total recall will be a dramatic increase in knowledge. Knowledge flows from the Creator. And wisdom. What's wisdom? The ability to apply the laws of God that the Bible hasn't spoken of. We're applying principles, broad principles, to very specific things. We don't have encyclopedias of do's and don'ts. That's wisdom. How to apply the spiritual laws of God to every situation in life. And along comes understanding. You can have knowledge without understanding. Maybe teaching a child might be an example. But understanding, or it makes sense. It's kind of like, I get it. I understand why that's important. I didn't used to, but I do now. I see cause and effect. And, of course, that brings motivation. When you have understanding... It makes sense. You become more motivated because you want what is good for you in the end. You, generally, human beings just don't know what is good for them. Well, you'll look forward to, I'm sure, update seminars from the King of Kings himself. You know, we've got a lot more to acquire knowledge wise, etc. And I assume in Jerusalem would be the place. You know, Jerusalem becoming the headquarters of the government of God, at least on earth. And to get to Jerusalem, you know, you won't be 
searching on the Internet, cheapflights.com. How do I get to Jerusalem? You'll be at a different plane. You'll be at a different, let's say, opportunity. I checked a while back cheap, the cheapest flights I could find from Sacramento to Jerusalem, $1,622. How long does it take? 22 hours, 24 hours and 7 minutes to get there. How long does it take to return home? 33 hours and 58 minutes to return home. Now, travel to Jerusalem and the kingdom of God will be absolutely first class. I would say it's spirit velocity travel, wherever that is. I'm sure you uh, remember the example, the resurrected Jesus Christ appearing, I believe, at the tomb. And he said, don't touch me, touch me not. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. And in less than 24 hours, he was back and he allowed disciples to touch him, like Thomas, for example. And that was all the way to the throne of God, you know, uh, to heaven itself, to headquarters of the universe and back, faster than the speed of light. Um, you know, the you know, speed of light wouldn't, wouldn't even come close to getting the job done. <clears throat> excuse me, 186,000 miles per second, 12,000 miles to Jerusalem. How long would that take from relatively from here? About one-fifteenth of a second at the speed of light. Well, that may be slow moving when it comes to spirit travel. So going to Jerusalem for, for example, a morning meeting with the King of Kings and back home for a luncheon with some of the local human leadership, let's say, would be entirely comfortable and entirely doable, no problem. You can begin to see how much more effective that we'll be able to be, not wasting so much time, so much time, Traveling, or I'll say this, sleeping. You know, I tend to like to sleep when I'm tired, but when you're not tired, why would you want to sleep? When you're not tired, sleep is escapism. You got so much to do in the family of God. Sleep is the thing of the past. No need for rejuvenation. You are continually rejuvenated. Energy, excitement, projects to accomplish. You know, we could go on and on about describing what it what it will be like. But suffice it to say that it will become an extremely rewarding and absorbing job. There'll be fulfillment, incredible. You'll oversee the development of your area. You'll become emotionally godly emotion, emotionally attached, spiritually attached to people that you're working with and a sense of right kind of pride in what is being accomplished. You'll get that sense of satisfaction. And you will oversee your own descendants, that is, if you have descendants, that aren't already a part of the God family, perhaps surviving children, grandchildren, maybe your extended unconverted family. And even if you've never had children, of your own, you likely will still have the opportunity to work with the extended family that are still surviving and to oversee their development. And additionally, since your work will closely follow thousands of people and their descendants, they will become like your own children. 
you know, not technically spiritually, but like your own children because you've been working with them and teaching them, even at times one-on-one, and, you, and they will look to you as the local leader, member of the God family that they identify with, and they will look to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Creator and King of Kings, but they will also closely identify with you personally. They know you. They interact with you. After all, you are that personal representative. Christ gave examples over a city or cities or a region or a nation. And they will closely identify with you. For all people, Micah chapter 4, verse 5, for all people will walk each in the name of his God, that is, junior member of the God family, of the Elohim family, that's us, firstborn. But we, that is the firstborn children of God, will walk in the name of the eternal, our God, Elohim, forever and ever. We will, of course, walk and follow God the Father and Jesus Christ forever and ever as the leadership of the God family, the firstborn. In all of this, as we can imagine, you will gain a sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, and joy. And you will have seen some of the happiest, most stable families that have ever existed will come to the forefront in the millennium. I think more stable and more fulfilled than any families we've had. And marriages even stronger in a few generations than marriages we've had. We've been contaminated by society and our background, and we're going to change that pattern. We're going to break that chain. And these beings, these humans, will develop under your guidance, and you will be their loving teacher and godly ruler. And also, your own development, your own growth will continue. We've got a lot to note, a lot to Understand, there will be so much to learn. Constant communication with headquarters in Jerusalem will be necessary, we know. And you will occasionally, I'm sure, personally speak with the King of Kings himself, Jesus Christ. You know, what an experience to actually interface as Moses did, but in this case, face-to-face with the Creator. In Jerusalem, the headquarters that the government of God on earth will dazzle you in time, and everyone else for that matter. But you also have the opportunity, of course, to see, to visit the rest of the earth. As it's made a pristine environment, restored fully, totally cleaned up, this planet is going to be the crown jewel at that time of God's physical creation at that time. And the bottom line is that you're going to enjoy... A thousand years of the most thrilling, rewarding career that you could ever imagine. And as the years go by, you'll have the excitement, the satisfaction of seeing thousands or collectively millions and billions of other human beings, including your own descendants or extended families' descendants, entering the God family in due time and being placed under your loving leadership. Firstborn family of God are offered a tremendous blessing 
the few, of being part of the leadership of the family of God. We know we are the only ones in the first resurrection at Christ's return, the only potential ones in the family of God who have been fully trained and tested and tried in Satan's world. All the rest of the family of God in the millennium and the second resurrection, by and large, except a little bit at the end of the millennium, of course, Satan's God. Society's changed. Most everyone is going in the way, supportive of God's way of life. You will be of the top echelons of the government of God. And we know the millennium is only the beginning of the great plan of God as he spreads his family in due time through the galaxies. That's Romans 8, verses 14 through 22. I won't take the time to read that. That's another story maybe for another day. So it's fair that so many, even in the church, have had less than ideal lives and jobs and experiences. We may endure 60 or 70 or 80 in our lifespan, years of life, struggling, often stressed, limitations, mediocre income, poor health, declining health, Little recognition, at least seemingly, unfulfilling jobs, and many trials and tribulation, many tests. Well, we know that is all preparation for the family of God. So we know that in the remaining then few years before Christ's return, we need to focus on the kingdom of job and not be weary and well-doing. Woe is me because of my current set of circumstances. Just a few years into the millennium, as firstborn members of the family of God, there will be no doubt in your mind you have one exciting, fulfilling career that will never end. And at that point in time, you will be extremely glad that for a few years of training in this age, you experience being tested. As God says, so I will know what's in his heart or her heart and mine. And your brief life, in hindsight, looking back then, will seem like a passing vapor as we look forward to a thousand years and beyond an eternity. You know, that passing vapor, in hindsight, it will seem so brief. I think most of us will think, why didn't I take advantage of of the knowledge, of training. Why didn't I put more effort into it? Well, we know your reward as we succeed. Your future career is on the horizon. That's what we're thinking about here at the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's not get distracted. Let's not get disappointed with this life. We understand the big picture. This life is only training for real life yet to come. We know that. We understand that. It's career preparation. We haven't graduated yet. We haven't moved on to our real career yet. And, of course, brethren, that's only the beginning. That's not the end. That's only the beginning of the plan of God. Let's be faithful. Let's follow through. Let's finish our training.